0: Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today is Tuesday, October 11th. Happy Travel Tuesday, everyone. It is a beautiful day here in my home outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Speaking of beautiful, I have to ask, have you ever heard about La Casa de la Playa? This luxury all-inclusive resort in Riviera Maya, Mexico is unlike any other. It's designed to be your home away from home, hence the resort's names. It features 63 suites, so it's got that intimate boutique feel, but still all-inclusive. Each room has their own private pool, plus you get a butler. The cuisine is from world-renowned chefs, and let me just tell you, this food is so far elevated from the traditional all-inclusive resort you also get access to benefits from the sister resorts of next door Hotel Escarette Arte and Hotel Escarat Mexico, plus the awesome and fun experiences of Escarat Parks and tailor-made experiences exclusive to just you and so much more. So if you want a luxury vacation, you will not be disappointed here. I was at La Casa de la Playa earlier this year and absolutely fell in love with this resort, and I think you will love it too once you visit. So definitely check them out. Their videos on Instagram will blow you away. We've got a great show for you today because joining me now is not one, not two, but three colleagues of mine and fellow travel writers and podcast hosts, Emma Weissman, Jamie Beseda, and Rebecca Tobin. Welcome to the show, ladies. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your podcast as well. We'll start with Emma, who some of our listeners may remember from our Millennials and Gen Z episode from the Future Leaders in Travel Retreat. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Emma.
1: Thank you, Eric. So happy to be here. And hello, everybody. Uh, This is a great opportunity because I'm seeing people that are my colleagues, but we don't really get to see each other face to face much. So really excited to sit down with you all and chat. Um, For those of you who don't know, I'm the host of Humans of Travel. Travel, where I sit down with the VIPs and the rising stars of the travel industry and have conversations and just get to know them and really see their human side. So you can check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. And also I'm going to hit it over to Jamie. Uh, She is a co-host with me on Trade Secrets. Yes. Hi. So happy to be here.
2: So I am a senior editor with Travel Weekly. And like Emma mentioned, we co-host the podcast Trade Secrets, where travel advisors ask questions and we answer them. We ask our listeners to submit questions on all kinds of topics ranging from their business, to the travel industry, basically anything travel related. And then we invite guests on the show, guest experts to answer their questions. So check us out. And I will turn it over to Rebecca.
3: Hi, everybody. My name is Rebecca Tobin, and I'm the managing editor of Travel Weekly and a colleague of Jamie's. And in addition to being the managing editor, I also host a weekly podcast for Travel Weekly called The Follow by Travel Weekly. And a follow in journalism terms uh, means to really, literally follow a story, a breaking news story, with more context and information. And that's what we aim to do on the follow every week. Is we tackle a news or a trend in travel, we invite reporting staff, experts, executives, advisors, and analysts on to talk more about those trends and really give our listeners a lot of context for what's happening in the travel industry today.
0: Well, it's great to get the North Star fam together anytime we can. So as as Emma said, we don't... Or aren't all in the same offices aren't all in the same locations so nice to hop on and uh, also lovely podcasts by each of you so i definitely recommend my listeners here out there listening now to go check out those shows as well there'll be a link in the description of this episode and everyone you can check out those shows too and for today's show in the travel polls podcast we're all going to be discussing what it's really like being a travel journalist we'll dive into our line of work on things as this is a topic that has been asked about a couple times before so thought it'd be fun to dive into you know our side of uh, work and everything but first. first. First, as we do for every episode, in case this is your first time listening to the show, we're going to dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. And we begin with some big updates on the travel advisory front. The U.S. State Department issued over 100 travel advisory updates in the last week and now they tagged uh, level four designations due to a greater likelihood of life-threatening risks, including to Russia, Central African Republic, Burkina Faso, and Belarus. And then you also had the CDC last week, they dropped the coronavirus-related travel advisories for individual countries. So some people look at that as great news on that front for the CDC dropping stuff. And then you've got the State Department on the other side of a whole bunch of different level of advisories between three and four of just a few on the four most were updated on three and then level two and one here and there. So to the group here, I want to get your thoughts on travel advisories in today's travel industry landscape. Uh, Jamie, let's start with you.
2: Yeah, you know, Eric, I was thinking about this and I I don't think it's any surprise to any of you. I am definitely on the more cautious side of COVID things. So I'll start off with the CDC uh, dropping coronavirus related advisories. And, you know, I personally wish that we still had more accurate reporting of COVID cases because I think it's really helpful when you're making personal decisions like whether or not to mask when you're in a destination. But that's said, it's these warnings are essentially useless if the data isn't thorough enough. So with this one, I'm going to say it is what it is. I wish we had more data, but we don't. Um, With the State Department, you know, I've spoken with representatives of the State Department before about how they gather information for these advisories. And it really is an extremely thorough process. I think it's really valuable information for people. But I also think that it it can occasionally be misconstrued people i don't mean to blanket americans as a whole of saying we're all terrible at geography but it's kind of a notorious stereotype in the industry that americans are really not the best at geography where they might take something a warning for a major city and apply it to a beach that's 100 miles away so i think that we need to read those with a cautious eye and and a critical eye
3: and if i could add to that um eric and jamie is to read them Because, you know, just to say that a country is at a level two or a level three advisory doesn't really give you the full picture of what the State Department is trying to say. So reading them and understanding what the advisory is for is really important to travelers I would encourage everybody to do that before they um before they get going.
1: Absolutely. And I'll jump in here. Jamie, I totally agree with you about the data regarding COVID infections and that it's become just kind of a wash and and we're not really sure what's accurate and and what's not. And I think that people who are traveling and have been traveling throughout this entire pandemic They're not really looking at that, and that's not really a factor in their decision-making. They're still going to travel. When it comes to the travel advisories from the State Department, one resource that I really like is the STEP program, and you can sign up for the STEP program on the U.S. State Department's website. Put in the countries that you specifically want to be alerted to, and then you'll get an email if those advisories change. For the Level 3 and 4, I'm guessing your average consumer is probably not looking to go there as a tourist, uh, but for levels one and two, maybe. And if that's changing to a three or a four, you'd want to know that. So step program is a really good resource for you.
0: All great insight on this. And I agree with you as well and that's a great program too to check out for for our listeners so appreciate the tip there people definitely check that out i think with the state department stuff you know i've talked to advisors too and you know do they even pay attention to this and we've talked about this on the show before with with fellow advisor guests and some of them do some of them say that they don't really pay any stock to it at all it's just there and they always combat with, you know, we'll look at, you know, destinations in the US and where would we be? Where would cities in our in our country here be on some of these lists and these levels uh, designations and stuff like that? And then, yeah, with with the CDC, with the coronavirus and stuff, it does feel like a lot of traveler, the general travel public has kind of moved on past that the people that are okay with traveling right now and are going to booking out trips and have been on trips, you know, a number of times already over the last year and a half here, you know, they're, they're it, the pandemic is gone in there you know they're they're focused on other issues as far as being the the top obstacles for travel for them right now
2: you know eric too i know that a lot of travel advisors make it um a practice to link to the state department pages on particular countries for their clients and that is a really generally good practice uh, lawyers have advised that that's a good thing to do with clients just a side note
0: yeah if, to my consumer listeners out there if you're not working with a travel advisor this is where they're going to help kind of guide in that too where they can steer you in the right direction of if you bring that up if that's something that is of concern because it's not for some consumers out there but for advisors out there I think they should pay attention to it even if you know that your client doesn't give a damn about any of this stuff you should at least know and like Jamie said yes link it out to your website be aware Of what's going on, and you can also combat some of the people that might be a little worried about, you know, here's a level X, you know, designation for my favorite country of, you know, let's say Mexico or whatever. And but really, some of those updates are are for areas that you're never going to go to in Mexico as a typical, you know, tourist from who lives in Middle America or something, and you just want to see the beach because you don't have a beach around you. You know, you you're going to be guided into a lot of, you know, safer destinations on that. And speaking of Mexico and stuff. So I think, you know, making sure you're working with an advisor for my consumer listeners out there and for my advisor listeners, you know, make sure that you are are at least on top of it, even if it's not something you care too much about would be my takeaway.
1: And Eric, to that point, too, about like different regions in a country. And let's say we're talking about Mexico. The State Department also has this really cool interactive map and you can kind of go around and see exactly what the different levels are for different states. And I'm, I'm using Mexico as an example, but um, it's bigger than that. So that's another really handy tool if you're if you're planning travel around those advisories.
0: Yes, and as I mentioned a little bit about you know um, some of the other issues beyond the pandemic, the industry moving past here, that everyone's focus is going to be seemingly turning to uh, prices. We know that uh, the cost of travel is rising, and inflation is going on. And just this past week, we had the Global Business Travel Association. Their uh, survey came out and said that the economy is overtaking COVID nineteen as the top obstacle to business travel's recovery. And one could argue that that's all of travel's recovery now, essentially. But the cost of travel, I think, is going to be a big storyline well into twenty twenty three. What do you? what do you guys think
3: yeah i mean according to the new york times the imf said today that the global economy was headed for quote stormy waters end quote and warned of a recession if policymakers don't get it right on inflation um so you know it's, it's anybody's guess really what shape the economy will be in in the next three months six months nine months um but i think it's fair to say that people are keeping a very close eye on it and um Jamie and Emma I mean I know you guys are talking to travel advisors a lot um wondering if you're hearing from them about how either concerned their clients are about uh you know the economy or pricing
2: for vacations. Well, I think that for certain segments of travelers this is definitely going to be a big issue going forward but one sp- one shining example of an, of group that this is not affecting are people traveling in the luxury space. I'm hearing consistently from advisors that focus on luxury that occasionally clients are saying, oh, I'm sorry, this is going to cost me what, but they're booking anyway. But in even more cases than that, clients aren't even asking about prices in the luxury space. They just want to go. And a lot of that is still that pent up demand from the pandemic. A lot of it is still the fact that the wealthy got wealthier over the course of the pandemic. That's all still factoring into travel, especially in the luxury space. So I think that that's, that's going to continue for some time into the future. Um, a lot of advisors that I've spoken to have actually projected that that's probably going to last into 2024, at least. So I think that that, that sector, at least, is going to be a little bit insulated from pricing issues in 2023.
3: Yeah, yes. thanks, Jamie. I, I should have just added before uh, you started that I still think there's a ton of pent-up demand out there and that people are still in that kind of travel mode. So, um, sorry, Emma, I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: No, that is fine because you two are taking the words out of my mouth. And I was (laughs) going to mention luxury specifically because, yes, I keep seeing that people are spending more on travel. They're still wanting to take that one big trip that they weren't able to. And now they're wondering, what's the next thing that's going to come around the bend? And is that going to prevent me from taking my bucket list trip? And actually, there was a recent MMGY study which looked at international travel specifically. And this is in the leisure sector and noted that high-end travelers are taking up to four international trips in the next 12 months. And this study is fairly recent within the last month or so. And they're spending up to 16% more than prior to the pandemic on leisure travel. When it comes to business travel, which I think, Eric, that's how you led us into this discussion, that the economy is going to be the top obstacle to business travel's recovery. Yes, I think it will continue to be slow. And I'm not speaking so much travel industry events because I know travel advisors love to travel and they're willing to maybe take risks that others wouldn't. But now we have the technology to offer hybrid conferences like never before virtual conferences for pretty much every type of business trip and companies who are really budget conscious are probably going to be more choosy about which conferences they're sending their employees to in person paired with the personal decision making of that employee.
0: Agreed on the business front and and leisure as well. I think it would certainly be nice to have the bank accounts of some of these luxury travelers out there. I know myself would love to just be like, "Oh, it costs how much? Yeah, book it anyway. I'm there." Because I know a lot of people listening don't have that luxury. Uh, pun intended, I guess. But you know, some people have to rely on the deals aspect of things, which kind of segues into what else has been trending in the last week is a lot more uh, deals and uh, freebies, if you will, have been tossed out there. Just last week, Hong Kong. Uh, came out and said they're giving out um, free air tickets to try and rebound tourism. It's 500,000 tickets over yet. A a region in Northern Italy is offering to cover train fare. Uh, Spain is also extending its free rail travel service to 2023. Although it's designed more for commuters, it's, it's open to international tourists as well. And I mean, train travel is a fantastic way to get around. And if you're in Spain, definitely top on that. Uh, In the cruising side of things, uh, kids cruise free for Royal Caribbean is a limited time deal. If you book in October, which, you know, would be fantastic for a lot of families out there. And then you also had Margaritaville at Seas offering, uh, they offered free cruises to military members, first responders, police officers, and educators. So with this, you know, I mean, we, we see deals and travel all the time. It kind of ebbs and flows, I feel like, but freebies and travel, the word the word free is obviously going to be enticing to anyone out there. It seems like these deals are, are increasing a little bit. And maybe that's a marketing ploy for, you know, just this time of year, we are in the technical shoulder season and off peak and, and all that stuff, but which has been thrown out a whack a little bit because of the pandemic, but t- typically this time of year is that. So it could be a marketing play for that, or or maybe it's a trend that can carry over into 2023. Jamie, what do you think about that?
2: I'll sum this one up pretty quickly, Eric. I think pretty common marketing tactic, either drawing attention or filling empty space. That's That's pretty much my opinion on this one, I think.
0: I agree, it's definitely a marketing ploy for now. I I like to be positive and hopeful that the the, the word free will, will hang on as a big strong tactic into twenty twenty three just because I love, you know, I love for people to scoop up deals when they can and, and that word free entices a level of travelers out there who are not in the luxury space and only maybe take one vacation of the year and that, that word is gonna grab them in. So just for the industry's sake, I hope that it does carry over into twenty twenty three beyond just your slow periods of the year, but You know, only time will tell on that front, I guess.
3: Yeah. One thing that we've just talked about uh, on this episode already, and, you know, we all work in the travel trade segment. So we're all really familiar with what travel advisors are doing. And Eric, you mentioned this earlier, you know, if you're not booking with an advisor, you should check it out. And, you know, these folks are so connected with the industry There are so many different perks and deals, best deals, you know, all these different things that you can do by working with someone who's kind of really monitoring this stuff on a day to day basis, hour to hour, you know, and getting uh, getting information from uh, other travel companies that they can offer. So it's really hard to tell sometimes if the if free is is a trend or if it's just something that you're hearing more of in a certain in a certain time frame, um, because these deals may be out there and you just don't know of them. Um, which might be another reason to sort of get that expert in your corner to, to ferret them out for you.
1: One of the things too, one of the opportunities for travel advisors who are listening, I think, is also to convert some clients over to these suppliers. So like if you have families that have never cruised before, but maybe they prefer to go to an all-inclusive resort, this might be a good opportunity where, I mean, they don't have much to lose if the kids are cruising free, right? To introduce them to a new supplier, Royal Caribbean. And with Margaritaville at sea, they're a new supplier on the market. So, I mean think about that. It's a new company to get to know and kind of pull into your repertoire and just convert some of your clients who might not be cruisers. I'm speaking specifically to the cruise deals here, but there are probably other opportunities as well.
0: No, I think that's great advice. And that helps us segue into our next uh, rounding up of what has been trending in the world of travel as we close out things on Cruise News. And just last week, Carnival said that they are going to impose fines on unruly passengers. They uh, said passengers could be hit with a $500 fine for unruly conduct and they could be held responsible for any damages caused and any expenses associated with being detained or being disembarked before the conclusion of the cruise. Carnival's made some headlines with uh, huge brawls between passengers, which then, you know, he had the videos go all over social media. Not the best look for really any brand out there to have to deal with, but, you know... $500 fine. Is that enough? We had, we posted the story on social media and got a couple interesting comments um, from people on that. Some saying they should just be outright banned. Uh, Jamie, what do you, what do you think on that? Fine ban doesn't matter. Do you care?
2: (laughs) I, I do. I think that they should be banned maybe for just a period of like, you know, three to five years or something, give them a second chance. But I have to say, Eric, we've been seeing this recently too in theme parks. We've seen it on airplanes recently. And I have a theory why, I think that people have collectively forgotten over the past couple of years that we've been locked down that we live in a society and societies have rules and people just seem to be flouting that. I mean, am I wrong? Do people seem like they're more rude on the road when you're out in restaurants? I feel like we have just forgotten that we live in a society and I really really hope that as things are opening up as we're traveling again that that brings us back to a collective place where we're not going to be getting into fights on cruise ships and in theme parks when we're on vacation.
1: I really Hope we get there soon. But I say ban them. <laughs> it's just such a sense of entitlement, you know? It's like I think people are in this mindset of I paid for this and this is a service and it has to be exactly what I want and to to my own personal rules and I mean, no one can really, you know, see my face. We're just listening to my voice, but my eyes cannot be farther rolled back into my head when I hear these <laughs> stories. I'm just like, what is going on, people? And yes, disciplinary action absolutely needs to be taken. It's unbelievable how bad it's gotten. But I mean, in terms of banning versus a fine. I don't know. Is it bad to say? Maybe it depends on the behavior. Is it someone who's just disturbing another cruiser? Okay, let's hit him with a fine. Is it someone who's physically threatening a crew member? In that case, that's like a ban in my mind
0: totally fair. I don't like
1: rude people uh, over here.
0: (laughs) I agree. Yeah, we do. We do live in a society and people have absolutely forgotten that. And I mean, you see stories over the the last two years on on all sectors of travel, too. You mentioned just, you know, the airlines and we had a lot of issues with the mask situation back in 2020 and and 21. It's still carried over to that. But this I think, Emma, the case by case basis, as you kind of say, I think that might have be the way that they have to do it, but I, I I do think that there should be language in that should be tossed out there about the potential to be banned. Like that needs to be stressed more than just fined because they were doing that on airplanes and you know saying that the FAA was going to levy fines and they were doing record number of fines and how how big the cost was and yada yada and people were still being absolute ridiculous on on planes and we're gonna see that still i think on cruises so i think the language needs to be there about a potential to be banned if it is a case-by-case type of thing because some fights are you know smaller than others or whatever and everything everyone situation is different for sure but it, i think they should at least toss that out there maybe not quite as strong on the band side as jamie is but i'm, I'm getting there maybe <laughs> fair enough <laughs> all right well That wraps up what has been trending in travel in the last week. A lot of stuff we didn't get to because the news never sleeps, as my colleagues here definitely know that. Uh, Any additional thoughts, though, you can drop me an email, podcast at travelpulse.com. So now we're going to jump over to the theme of this week's show, and that's around inside the life of a travel journalist. First, I think we should just, you know, dispel some of the biggest myths, misconceptions about the job. So, uh, Emma, what do you think?
1: So the number one thing that I hear from my friends is that it is my job to go on vacation. and from social media it kind, it does kind of seem that way like we're in a different destination every month we might be going on different cruises and exploring the world and that's one of the biggest perks in my mind of being in this field but I will say it's not all glamorous. We don't just always get everything for free and we're there working and what that means at least in my mind and I would love to hear comparisons with Rebecca and Jamie is that maybe we're at a conference in Nashville and you're seeing me post about Honky Tonk Highway but that entire day from 7 a.m. all the way up till we left for dinner we're in general sessions, we're inner Viewing. We're taking notes. We're really there, not traveling for ourselves, but representing our publication and being an ambassador for our audience. In this case, it's travel advisors. So we need to be a journalist first, not a vacationer. So although we're reporting on the tourism industry and it does look like it's on vacation, I think that's the biggest misconception, at least from people who are in my community. And I'd love to hear if that's that's similar to you too, but I am never as tired (laughs) as after a work trip.
2: Emma, I could not agree with you more 100% to everything you said. When people find out what I do, they the immediate first question is always, "Oh, so do you travel a lot?" And my answer is usually, Yes. And they're like, that's amazing. And I say it is, but I'm often going to travel agent conferences and they're great. They pick great destinations. There's always fun things to do. But like Emma said, we're working, we're putting in usually more than a full day of work when we're actually on the ground at a conference or at an event. And it's also not like we're getting flown there in private jets and staying in suites or anything like that. So it is work. It's fun, but it's also a lot of work. When
3: I first started at Travel Weekly, I had a family member who asked me, "Oh, so do you travel weekly?" I'd <laughs> say, "No, I don't. <laughs> I, I I don't travel very much at all anymore." Um, and I think that might be a misconception: is that we're always on the road, which is not true. Um, we have quite a bit of news coverage that's happening. From our home desks and office desks, and so yeah, I I wish I, I wish I could say I traveled weekly, but maybe maybe not. Actually, maybe be careful what you wish for.
0: Right? Seems yeah, like, it can be seems like a
3: lot. <laughs> that
0: yeah. would be quite the grind on that, and I think that really is kind of the biggest one out there that we hear a lot from our side of things. I know I hear I hear often too, like oh, you have the best job ever, and I'm like, yeah, this job is great, but the best job ever. Uh, I mean the best job ever is very subjective to the, that individual person, and to That's me the true. best job ever would be winning the lottery and being a stay-at-home dad, but like the best job ever to you know someone else out there might be that they're a movie star or that they're playing the NBA and even though they're only like five two or whatever, but they love basketball you know it's very subjective out there, so that, that, that phrase always gets me of like, okay yeah, my, my job is amazing there's a lot of Perks to it for sure, but there's also a lot of grind to it as well. Like I'm working all the time and everything, so that it, it's it's that's my my thoughts on on that one. But definitely the uh, oh you you just go on vacation all the time and it's like no no. Well,
1: <laughs> Far from I it. Can I add just something onto yeah. that as well? When we're traveling, we're not like when you're on vacation, you're meant to kind of relax and unwind and maybe let loose a little bit. And you're with your friends and your family or whoever. And you act completely differently than when you are traveling as a travel journalist or you are there for work. Oftentimes, you don't know anybody in your group. If it's a press trip, you're meeting them for the first time. Maybe it's a solo trip and you're there with a guide or a representative from a tourism board if you're in destination or the hotel manager. And you're on On. Like you're on, you're professional. You are not hanging by the pool. You are not saddling up to the bar. So that's one thing that I think is very different when you're talking about vacation versus work travel. And then the other thing is we're talking about the grind. And one thing I think we need to make clear on the podcast is that all of us are full time editors for our respective publications. So Rebecca and Jamie are at Travel Weekly. I'm at Travel H West. Eric, you're with Travel Pulse. If you're a freelance journalist, you might be on the road constantly and that's your life. And it's a—it's such a hustle and they might have a completely different answer than we do, but it's still a lot of work and they might be on the road 300 days a year, but at night they're laying in their hotel room and they're checking email and they're writing their stories and they're always on deadline. So it might be different depending on who you talk to, but just wanted to say that little caveat too.
3: Yeah, Emma, I think that's great. That's a great point because I remember sitting next to a freelancer on a a trip who, you know, there's a a music playing, people are relaxing with drinks, and this person is frantically kind of going through their laptop looking for all of the shots that they took today because they had to post, they have to keep moving, they have to keep producing content um, for their audience, and it's a lot of work. So there's very little downtime for a lot of the freelancers who I know um, it, there's a lot of great things about traveling full stop, (laughs) but everything always, you know, there's, there's always work associated with work. And I think that's just something that is true for every job, right? There's always Work is work. Exactly. And there's usually
0: a lot of it. And there's usually a lot of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I've done the the freelance writing thing, not in the travel space. That's I would just gonna segue to like likes and dislikes and favorite places that we've explored here we work and everything. And one of my biggest likes is is that I am on, on the full-time salary side because I know a lot of people that are on the freelance and it's a different type of grind for sure. And you've got to, you know, every word you write, you know, you're getting paid for. So that's, you got to hustle on that aspect of things, but you're still doing some really cool things. And one of my, you know, likes that I've done is I've done some really cool things on like new experiences or new ships or new grand opening of hotels that not a lot of people get to actually experience. So that that is a cool side of that stuff. So I don't want to, you know, harp on things too much. If we, you know, we're saying that we're constantly working and all this, like we still have fun. We still have a good time. It's a really cool job. Absolutely. So what are some additional likes? Do you have any dislikes or, or anybody want to chime in on some favorite places that they've explored via the job out here? Because the, this job does take us to some cool stuff.
3: Well, I have some likes about my job and I I have some loves too, because I love working with reporters. I think that the job of reporting and and telling a story or telling telling giving the news or or talking about what's the reporting that a reporter has done. Sorry, I'm using the word reporter too much, but it's okay. It's so exciting. Um, and Jamie and I sit um, in a, a meeting a couple of times a week for reporters and editors to talk over the work that they're doing, the stories that they're pursuing, the sources that they're speaking to. And I always get such a rush when when someone's on a good story because there's just something real i don't know there's something really exciting about that nice. i've always loved uh journalism and i actually got into journalism because i used to watch all those shows on tv with like you know mary tyler moore or um a show that candace bergen was on you know um you guys are young um <laughs> I can't think of it either, but any show that kind of showed a newsroom environment. And actually my mother was a reporter and editor too. So I always loved the newsroom environment where people were constantly like on the phone, getting information, telling stories, you know, writing up against deadline. Uh, So that's always something that I really love about working for Travel Weekly. Now we're not really technically in a newsroom any longer because a lot of us are remote um, or traveling as we previously discussed, but actually Zoom's been great for, uh, kind of face-to-quote, unquote face-to-face contact with the staff every day. And I just couldn't be more excited about some of the, I, I sound a little like, couldn't be more excited about it. But I really think that some of the work that, that we do uh, for all of our brands is um, really spectacular. And no matter how many years I've I've been doing this, I still kind of get a rush when we sort of put our page one together and we have excellent stories. And, you know, I know the our team has worked so hard to to get all the information for them. So
0: Murphy Brown. That's I think that's a show that you are no. trying to think of, right?
3: <laughs> yes.
0: The power what a of great
3: show that was. I totally blanked on the name, but um,
0: I have to admit but, I don't know that show. But I did just Google it, so we I, I present the facts because there's probably one person listening out there. who was like, what's that show? So I, know, I had to deliver. I had know, to they're deliver. Like, they're
3: calling it. <laughs> and they're calling it out too to like the podcast. They're like, it's Murphy Brown. <laughs> oh, anyway, that was yeah. All those shows that that showed that showed uh, reporters or tv journalists or you know there's so many um and they were always fun and i always
2: wanted that kind of excitement in my job and work eric i'll give you a like and a dislike in one and that's travel because i love the fact that i get to travel for work and i love the fact that i get to go see new places but i'm also learning now with a one-year-old how difficult it can be to plan for that Um, especially when kids become a factor and you kind of have to juggle through childcare and everything like that. So I think that's both my like and my dislike right now, but I think like is always going to win out with travel. But I also wanted to tell you about one of the favorite places that I've explored, which actually isn't really a place it's cruising because I don't think before I took this job, I ever would have considered going on a cruise ship. Um, I didn't understand the nuances between the different lines. I didn't understand that there were bigger ships, smaller ships, different types of ships and now i've had the privilege of cruising on several of them and i think it's a fantastic way of traveling and i don't think i would have ever picked that before so i am very grateful for having the opportunity to have cruised
0: i love that i also had never cruised before this job and shout out to river cruising i love you so much and <laughs> yes <laughs> um yeah I, I think that's great i too love stories out there uh, emma what about you
1: yeah i i'm also a big fan of the river cruise um I think in terms of likes, well, I think one thing we all have in common is that we're all storytellers. And so it's what is that story that you are going to find when you land in that country or in that city? And it's always exciting and it's always new and it's always different. You're going to meet new people, whether that's just people you happen to meet on the street in a new place, someone who lives there or someone that you're interviewing for a story and trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together into an article or a podcast or, or whatever medium you choose. So I love that. It's a continuous learning process for sure. Um, dislikes. I can't relate to the others on the call in terms of having kids and having to plan around it. I do have two kittens, so I have to (laughs) plan who's going to be at home to watch them. So I'm sure that throws a wrench into things. Um, I would say that a lot of times maybe a dislike, and this is like a very light dislike is that when I'm going places, I'm usually not in charge of what I do there. So if you're on a press trip and you're with a group, you have an itinerary and it's probably planned from sunup to sundown and there's not a lot of wiggle room there. And, and sometimes they can amend these itineraries if there's something you really want to pursue for a story. But um, that might be like a, a small dislike is just that it's your trip is set. And what you're going to do is maybe not dictated by you.
3: Emma right there showed me one of the reasons why I love working with reporters is because they're always so curious and uh, love talking to people and 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 talking to new people and making new friends and and uh, exploring new places. So that's always really exciting. And Eric, I'm just curious about you. What are your likes and dislikes?
0: I also am a big fan of the story aspect of things, and it spills over to when I'm traveling for not work and I'm traveling for leisure or taking a mini vacation a little uh, microcation if you will I love a good weekend getaway on that but I I find my mind still races over to you know is there a work aspect, you know, of this? Or is the like, I'm still thinking if it's a new destination, maybe not Maybe not so much if it's a familiar one that I've been to time and time again, but still, you know, something jumps out even even still on those repeat destinations. I do love Hilton Head Island, been there uh, several times, but i still try to find new things. Like the last time we went, we had a great time and checked out this new playground area because I have a two-year-old now. So that's not something I would have really ever done much in that destination. But as far as dislikes, you know, I do have a confession to make here. I don't really like flying. I don't I don't really like being a, I'm not a huge flyer fan. I mean I've definitely gotten better since I've been in this industry but in the, those first few years I I was I mean I'm still kind of a little bit that way I, I'm very anxious on that and very the, the anxiety peaks up for sure on that so it's uh, that's that's life though you know you gotta you gotta do some things you're a little uncomfortable with at times to get to some really awesome experiences and destinations. You are not alone. Uh, in that, <laughs> in that, in that feeling.
3: Um, and I also, by the way, I had a, I had that, I had a, a moment like that, it, like a sort of a delayed nine eleven reaction reaction um, for maybe about a year or so after it. And it wasn't, it wasn't like I, I, I couldn't even explain it, but there was just something about it that made me anxious and um, it did pass. So I'm hopeful that the same is happens for you. Yeah, it's
1: tough. Yeah, I, I was just going to ask you, Eric, if it was a fear of flying, or you just generally didn't like to be trapped with two hundred humans in a flying tube. That's like just an unpleasurable experience yeah, for all of us. But it's an actual a fear of flying. You said
0: no. I mean, it's I guess it's the flight experience. Yeah, being trapped inside. It's more so that than it is the actual you know being up in the sky. I think I get I can get past that once we're up in the air. But like the takeoffs, are, I'm always still antsy and in, in the landing I've, I've had far too many rough landings that i can count on that uh yeah that still bring that back anytime we're on the descent i'm like all right got to mentally prepare for this and yeah being stuck next to you know someone especially if you're in the middle scene i mean i'll i'll do whatever i have to obviously to get you know, the destination and, and fly and everything. But I've, I'm a, I'm a window seat kind of guy just because I need that, like, outdoor look and stuff, even though, I mean, I like the aisle and everything, but uh, there's something comforting about just staring out into the sky a little bit, even though we're, we're super... High up in in the world, if you will, there up in the sky, it's it can be a lot of anxious to to a lot of people out there. I know people that just straight sleep on planes because they can't do anything about it. So,
2: Eric, I am also team window seat one hundred percent. But um, one of my best tips, I think that I have for for nervous flyers. If anyone listening is nervous about flying in general, is uh, look at the flight attendants, and if they don't look nervous, you have yes. no reason to be nervous.
3: Oh my gosh, that is that is I've done that. I, mm-hmm, I relate so hard. And by the way, I know this is not a video podcast, but I'm sure everyone is nodding on this podcast because it's just something that everyone can kind of relate to, even if it's not an everyday uh, feeling, but uh, yes. Okay. Eric, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the, the nods all I, came through there. They, on the... <laughs> you
3: know, I actually, te- I went to, I went to the aisle to get over my uh, anxiety anxiety. So, okay. I don't know why that is it maybe just because I was in the middle of the plane. I, it's again, it's something that's so ir it's like not rational because the statistics are uh, I mean, it's the safest form of travel as we all know. Yeah. So there's just something about it that you know,
1: um, yeah, I'm the same way, Rebecca. I'm aisle aisle or bust. Like, I don't know what it is. I think it's (laughs) like a, I think I have like maybe like bathroom anxiety. Like I don't want to feel trapped and have to go to the bathroom and have to climb over people. Yeah. And, and I get the relaxation that comes from a window seat, but I am strictly an aisle girl. And I think people are really passionate about their seat preferences because of their anxieties, whatever, whatever it may be.
0: That's very true. And a lot of people, Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't mind having to pay the extra so that they can secure their spot on that. So we could talk about our jobs forever, but I do have to close it up and on here. So just lastly here, what would be your advice to anyone out there that's looking to get into this space? We'll start with Emma.
1: If you want to be a travel journalist, write, 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 write a blog. Pitch magazines and say, you'll write something for free. Like seriously, anything that's going to get your words out there, do it, build up your portfolio somehow, start with no followers or no audience and, and try to grow it and be consistent with your writing. So be putting something out there continuously. Um, Take writing classes, maybe if you want to get better, take your time to get to know the outlets that you're pitching. I get so many pitches and they don't realize that travel address is a trade publication. And maybe they'll be rounding up or, or I think I got one recently that was like the speaking of planes, um, a gift guide to neck pillows for the airplane. We, we wouldn't feature that. We're a trade publication. So do your research and write, write, write. I couldn't agree more, Emma. I mean, clips are money in this field clips or money
2: but um i would just add to that too you know get a solid journalism base underneath you because then no matter what aspect of travel you're covering you're gonna you're gonna know how to ask the questions and how to know what you don't know um, when i first started with travel weekly i came from community news which had absolutely nothing to do with travel and then i was thrown into this world covering travel agencies online travel agencies global distribution systems i didn't know what any of it was but i knew how to ask about it in a way that i got what i needed to cover it i
3: i got advice early on in my career not i'm just curious now among you three my the advice was to not major in journalism in college did any of you major in journalism i, I did. did
0: i love oh, jamie and i raised did. our <laughs> hands yeah I love you. Okay.
3: <laughs> hey school so my so my the advice that was given to me was not to major in it to take a couple of classes but not to major in journalism, but to intern at an, and work for whatever newspaper you could. Now, this was a while back. This was back when newspapers were the word. Um, and Emma mentioned blogs. So obviously, the mediums have changed quite a bit since then. Um, I'm not sure if that's the right advice or not, because there's plenty of amazing journalism programs out there. But I think the advice was to get actual real-world experience and have an editor guide you through the reporting process and learn, as Jamie said, how to take notes, find facts, write a news story, and then you can kind of use that as your base to, um, you know, to kind of go into other types of writing. So, Travel Weekly is really a news publication. So, we look for, and Jamie's a perfect example, we look for people who are great reporters, writers, and storytellers, not necessarily for people who have a travel background. So, you know, people, you can learn the travel industry. I mean, it's a complicated, it's a complicated business. It's exciting. Um, It's a steep learning curve, but you can learn it. But really that basis in um, factual news gathering is so important uh, to our team. And so that's what I would advise if anybody is looking to get into it. Now, travel writing is a little bit different. And I think that people who are interested in doing experiential travel writing, you know, they just need to get that outlet out there just like emma said so it, it sort of is kind of like kind of decide what you really what your passion is and go in that direction
0: all great insight on that front i think writing 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 if that's what you want to do then get it out there and have a blog set up even if you know if you're not really making any money from that blog in the first few go like you can you can find a way to monetize that there are classes you can take on that that side of things but yeah if you want i think you need to research where you're gonna pitch if you're gonna make pitches out there and live that freestyle, freestyle, <laughs> freelance lifestyle life there. Um, but yeah, and then finding a mentor, I think you I, you guys also touched on that too. I think that is, that is big out there. If you can find someone that will just help in any way they can, you know, and whatever time that they can give to you, then, you know, ma- make sure you maximize that and soak up all you can on that front, so.
1: One final thought, sorry, Eric, I know we're you're trying good. to close it out here. When you talked about mentorship and kind of growing your network, I have found success in other parts of my life connecting with like-minded people via Facebook groups. And I don't use Facebook a lot for social media, but I use it for its groups. You can find a group for anything. There's a ton of journalism groups. There's a ton of travel, working in travel groups. Join those groups, be an observer, take it all in. Maybe if you connect with somebody, reach out and, and strike up a relationship that way. If you're looking to kind of break in facebook groups have been invaluable for me i don't know if that's the case for anyone else on the call but i really do like them
0: interesting too. i mean the facebook is uh not used we talked about this on our on our millennials and gen z podcast and we're not really on like you said you're not using it much but for for social media aspect of things you might scroll or whatever but yeah their community groups are valuable i'm in several different uh ones as well and on the advisor side too different communities that Mm -hmm. you can find great insights in and it helps with you know finding sources and on stuff too. So definitely do what you can on on joining a different community groups, find your, find your group, you know, your squad, if you will, that's the word I was searching for. So it it definitely helps to have people in your corner, um, no matter where they're at in their careers as well. So that wraps up our show here. I do want to give the ladies here one final chance to plug your uh, social handles or websites and podcasts again, as we close things up.
1: I am at Emma in route, Emma underscore E-N-R-O-U-T-E on Instagram. And then you can also reach me at E Weissman with two S's and two N's at TravelAgeWest.com. I am at thus
2: Jamie Saw on Instagram. And travel advisors, please feel free to add me on Facebook. Just look up my name on Travel Weekly, Jamie Bezada. Add me anytime Or email me at jbeseda at travelweekly.com. You can find that spelling on any of my articles. My
3: uh, social media handle is at travelartobin. And my email address is rtobin at travelweekly.com. And you also mentioned where to find our podcasts. Uh, Jamie and I have our home at travelweekly.com slash podcasts. Thank you so much, Eric.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you all Thank for joining. You. I really appreciate it. That wraps up what we have for this show. Stay tuned for and next week. We'll be talking a little bit about fees in the travel space. And if you're going to Ascends conference, hit me up because that's where I'll be next week. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Have a great week.